God, yours is the name above every other name. It's the throne above every other throne. You are the king above every other king. You are not one God among many. You are the only God and there is no other. You spoke the universe and this world into existence and you uphold all of it by the power of your word. And yet in all of your infinite glory and majesty and power and strength, in light of the fact that you are sitting enthroned in the heavens, it is miracle of miracles that we get to call you Father. God, we are your children. Through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, you have purchased us as your own. You have adopted us as your own. Your word tells us that you called our names before our parents even gave them to us. In eternity past, you foreknew us, you predestined us, you adopted us, you called us, you made us yours. And Lord, we are grateful for this. So fathers, we consider today what it means to come to you boldly in prayer as we look at a picture of the relationship that you invite us into. Lord, help us to see your son, Jesus. Help us to see your heart for us the heart of a father for his children. God, that every one of us would be motivated and encouraged to come to you boldly and confidently into your presence. So Father, speak to us today through your word. Speak through me, Father, a word that will edify your church and glorify your name. Father, sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth unchanging truth. We submit ourselves to it now. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name that everyone said, amen, amen. You can go ahead and find a seat. And as you find your seats this morning, I'm gonna invite you uh, to turn in your Bibles. Matthew chapter six is where we'll be going together this morning, verses five through eight. Um, Good to be back with you this week. Really appreciate Dave uh, picking up uh, the Sermon on the Mount last week where we had left off the week before and introducing this section in chapter six. And um, before we get started this morning, I just want to be able to say on a personal um, level, just on, on behalf of my family, really on behalf of our whole staff, that this month uh, nationwide, this has apparently become a thing the last few years. Um, October is, is Pastor and Staff Appreciation Month. And, and man, there, there's been an underground movement um, in our church community for the last month to assault my family and our staff with love. And uh, we have been so, so loved um, this past Friday, our family had been gone last week. Um, and this month, we've we received just dozens of, of cards and, and gifts. And man, coffee, praise God, you guys know my heart. Um, so, so appreciative of this. And really just got a first time, a, a chance to sit down and read through it all um, this past Friday morning. It was honestly just, just overwhelming. And as, as much as I would like to say, I'm going to have time to sit down and write about 100 individual thank you cards for all of it over the next few months. I hope you will just accept this as my blanket thank you um, to, to our congregation for all of that. Um, you guys love us so well, and, and you make it very easy um, to be the pastor of this church and to serve on this staff with the staff that we have. Um, so thank you. We, we love you, and we, we so appreciate you um, as well. And so we're going to pick right back up, uh, Matthew 6 this morning in verse 5. Um, again, Dave led into this section last week, so I'm just going to dive right into things this morning. Um, I pressed into this several weeks ago. I want to press into it again for just a moment today because I really do believe that this is a critical issue for our generation, my generation in particular, in a number of different ways, but, but certainly applies to all of us 
as believers in the 21st century. Um, The online world that dominates our culture today has created this environment where our most personal, private, uh, intimate experiences and frustrations in life can be immediately broadcast to a, a watching world. Um, We can fire now, at any given moment, this digital shotgun blast into the ether of the internet and and potentially touching hundreds or even thousands of people at a time with the things that we share online. Uh, and, And we've seen, just as this world has developed over the last couple of decades, uh, it doesn't know a whole lot of boundaries. So, so things that used to be intimate, personal details of our lives that were only known by us and maybe some trusted friends, a select group of friends, a pastor, a counselor, someone that we could really trust with this information, we're now broadcasting publicly to potentially hundreds or even thousands or even hundreds of thousands of people at any given moment. Um, uh, the practice of, of our emotional venting online has been called by one uh, sociologist as unregulated digital emotional vomiting. Um, there's not a whole lot of boundaries. That there's not a whole lot of lines that we're unwilling to cross these days. We were um, at a conference with our staff a couple of weeks ago, Acts 29, one of the leaders, Jeff Metters, was, was talking about this, just the emotional challenges, emotional health challenges of our culture, and he gave a very timely word of advice that I think we would all do well to receive. And that word of advice he gave to a thousand pastors in the room was, some of y'all need to get a diary. Um, because we've just gotten this space where, where we, we really see no boundaries of what we can share. And this hasn't just had negative emotional ramifications for us because the studies are showing that while you might get the burst of satisfaction in the moment, long term, it's causing you greater emotional harm. But it's not just our emotional lives that this world has impacted. It's now infringed on the spiritual experiences as well. What these online platforms have done is create an environment where we can now turn the private prayer closet into a public performing arts theater. So again, you get on Instagram and you can see this just just over and over and over again, right? Like, what do we love to do? We love that perfectly sculpted picture. We got the open Bible and we've got the coffee and we've got the journal and the little devotional book with all the out of context Bible verses. And we got the sunrise or the sunset. Like we've got all this and we display it online. You know, you, you can go to so many church websites and, and maybe even ours to an extent. We get online, I and mean, we love that picture of, of the epic worship service, right? Everybody's got their hands lifted or the, you know, they're clapping or hand on the heart or knees bowed together in worship. And these, these private experiences of worship have now become fodder for public performance. And listen, I, I don't want us to be overly cynical this morning. I don't want to overstep the bounds here. I don't think it's necessarily sinful for us to share these things. But I do think we would be wise to pause and ask ourselves, why do I need to make my worship known to an audience? What is my motivation in sharing this? Why am I putting this here? You know, Dave entered into this section for us. He introduced Matthew 6 with the warning from Jesus in Matthew 6.1 that you guys saw last week. Jesus warns, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward for your father who's in heaven. We should ask ourselves, before we fire that digital shotgun blast of our spirituality, what is my motivation for sharing this? You know, in these three sections, Jesus goes on to address three uh, specific pillars of faith practice. Last week, we saw the practice of giving. Um, This week and next week, we're gonna look at the Lord's Prayer in two parts. And then the following, we're gonna look at the practice of fasting. 
And so we have to be asking ourselves, because the theme in really these three sections is, is essentially the same. When we pray, when we give, when we fast, what is my motivation? Am I doing these things because I want to be seen and known by others, or am I doing these things because I am seen by my heavenly Father? Are we content with knowing that our Father in heaven sees us? So I'm just going to repeat this morning what I asked us several weeks ago. It's not, can we enter into the spiritual disciplines? Can we enter into sacrificial service? Can we enter into fasting? I think a critical question in our generation is, can we do these things without having to tell everybody about it? Are we content to enter into worship, not to be seen by others, but because we're already seen by our Father? What Jesus shows us in verses five through eight is that prayer is not a public performance for the glory of man. Prayer is a private practice to the glory of God. Our motivation, friends, in prayer should not be that we desire to be seen by others. Our motivation to pray should be that we have a heavenly Father who already sees us. And he loves us and he invites us into intimate relationship with him. So for Matthew chapter 6, let's read again verse 5, the words of Jesus. Jesus says, and when you pray. Everybody say when. And when you pray, Jesus says, you must not, everybody say must not. You must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So what is prayer according to the Jesus way? How do we pray as Jesus has taught us to pray? Well, we see first from verse five, Jesus teaches us to pray humbly. He teaches us to pray humbly. Now, if you're the kind of person who underlines and circles words or phrases in your Bible, I want to encourage you to mark two specific words, phrases in, in, that are in verse five. The first word that I would underline is that word when. Jesus says, and when you pray. When you pray. Jesus does not say, hey, if you pray. Jesus does not say, should you pray. Jesus does not say, in the event that you decide to pray. No, Jesus says, when you pray. So we need to see immediately, right out of the gate this morning, Jesus does not teach prayer as a suggestion. Jesus teaches prayer as an assumption. It's just assumed that as followers of Jesus Christ, as those who've entered into relationship with the Heavenly Father, it's simply assumed that we will be praying people. Jesus is assuming that we'll pray. Again, Dave introduced this section from chapter six last week. And in a Jewish culture, there were three pillars of faith and practice that were giving, prayer, and fasting. And what we see from the words of Jesus, the practice of prayer, is that prayer is not just essential to followers of Christ. Friends, prayer is evidence that we are followers of Christ. The way that we can know that we are faithfully walking with Jesus is that we are regularly talking with Jesus. We can't have a healthy relationship with anyone where there's no communication. So Jesus doesn't teach prayer as a suggestion. He teaches it as an assumption. There's no such thing as a prayerless Christian. That this sentiment has been echoed by many throughout the history of the church. Now, trivia question for you this morning, and, and we'll, we'll see how the first crowd did okay with this. I'm going to ask you, tomorrow is October 31st, which means it's what? It's not Halloween. You should know better you're in church, right? Church history buffs, what is Tomorrow. Reformation Day, right? So 505 years ago, 1517, Martin Luther, like an absolute boss, on October 31st, 1517, what's he do? He ascends the steps, Church of All Souls, and he nails his 95 theses to the door, and he started the wildfire that became known as the Protestant Reformation. 
Maybe we should all dress up as Martin Luther tomorrow. Maybe we should nail 95 theses on all of our neighbors' doors. You shouldn't do that. That's destruction of property. It's not good. But Martin Luther, so go, going back to the Reformation, Martin Luther, he said uh, in his own writings, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and the business of cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. Charles Spurgeon would say very similar a few hundred years later. He said, as well could you expect a plant to grow without air and water as to expect your heart to grow without prayer and faith. Jesus does not teach prayer as a suggestion. He teaches it as an assumption. And the way we can know we're faithfully walking with God is if we're regularly talking with God. So not if you pray, should you pray, in the event that you pray, but when you pray. So underline that word when. The second thing I would underline are the words must not. Jesus says, verse 5, and when you pray, you must not. So, So two keys here in this verse. Jesus shows us what we must be doing, which is pray, but then he shows us what we must not be doing while we're praying. He goes on to say, you must not be like the hypocrites. Now, this term hypocrite has its origin in Greek theater, and it referred to actors who would wear masks in order to play various roles. And when you and I use this word hypocrite, we typically mean that in such a way that if someone's a hypocrite, they have said one thing, but they're now doing another thing. That's how we tend to use the word hypocrite, but that's not how Jesus uses the word hypocrite in this context. According to Jesus, a hypocrite is not just someone who says one thing and then does another. According to Jesus, a hypocrite can be someone who does the right thing, but from the wrong motivation. Now, the Jewish culture, they had regular times of prayer that they would devote themselves to daily all throughout the course of the day. You think of the, the book of Daniel, how Daniel would, he would pause and he would not miss those times of prayer throughout the course of the day. So the issue wasn't their devotion to prayer. The issue was their motivation in their praying. And how did the hypocrites pray? Jesus says they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. Why? That they may be seen by others. That was their motivation. The issue isn't what they were doing. It's not that they were saying, you guys should pray, and they themselves weren't praying. The issue is they were praying, but they were doing it for the wrong reason. So Jesus calls them hypocrites, calls them actors, because that's what they're doing. They're acting. Their motivation for prayer wasn't for the glory of God. They were performing for the glory and the praise of man. So Jesus repeats the warning in verse 1 from verse 5. He says, truly I say to you, they've received their reward. This is the warning that Jesus was giving to the crowd that day. This is the warning that extends to us today. Listen, if your your motivation in your public worship, if your motivation is is getting all the likes and getting all the comments and getting the personal affirmation and the approval and the celebration of others, listen, only God can know your heart. Only God can know your heart. Jesus is saying if that's your motivation is attention and affirmation from others, then enjoy it because it is unseen by your Father who's in heaven. So we pray humbly. Humbly. Whenever we come to the Lord in prayer, if if our worship is motivated by our glory instead of God's, we're going to totally miss the point. Our posture, our heart, when we come to the Lord in prayer should be that of the psalmist in Psalm 27. He says, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. And here it is, verse 8. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, O Lord, do I seek. As we go throughout the course of the morning, I'm going to give us four key questions for reflection as we consider how to apply these things for our lives. So here's our first key question this morning. In my acts of worship, 
Am I seeking the face of God or am I seeking the praise of man? It's a key distinction here. This is the difference, according to Jesus, between faithfulness and hypocrisy. Am I seeking the face of God or am I seeking the praise of man? Listen, there's no greater hypocrisy than using our worship, using the worship of the Lord to solicit praise and glory and honor from man. So when we pray, we don't pray performatively before others. We pray humbly before God. Jesus goes on to say in verse 6, he says, But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And here's the promise. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus teaches us to pray humbly. Second, we see that Jesus teaches us to pray privately. Now, I want to be clear here on, on this particular point because I want to make sure we understand that Jesus is not condemning all forms of public prayer. He's not condemning all forms of public prayer because otherwise he would be contradicting much of what we see all throughout Scripture. We see it all throughout the Old Testament, how many times the nation of Israel, the people are gathered together corporately in prayer. We see it through the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, how the early church is gathered together corporately in prayer. We'll see it in the Lord's prayers. We study the content of the prayer together next week. Jesus doesn't teach us to pray, my Father. He teaches us to pray what? Our Father. And so he's not condemning all forms of public prayer. He's not condemning praying in public. He is condemning praying in such a way that you want to be publicly seen. That's the point that he's getting across here. So let's be clear. He's not condemning public prayer. He's just condemning prayer that wants to be seen. The point he was making was this. You and I should be perfectly content. We should desire just as much as we do corporately. We should be perfectly content to go into our houses, to shut the door behind us, to go into a closet, to get on our knees, and to be in relationship, to be in fellowship, to be in conversation with our Heavenly Father, and be totally okay with it if nobody knows it or sees. But we shouldn't do this because we want to be seen as holy by others. We do this because we desire relationship and fellowship with our Heavenly Father. God and God alone is our audience in prayer. Friends, we are not actors on a stage repeating lines for the glory of man. We are children in the living room enjoying the presence of our Father. December will be, for my family and I, it'll be 11 years since my dad passed away. And um, this past week we were up in Boone with, while our boys were on fall break. It's where I grew up. And so anytime we go up there, I try to visit my dad's graveside at least once a year. You know, we put some new flowers on it and, you know, get to talk to my boys about him a little bit. And, and man, I, I praise God that as a follower of Jesus Christ, I can stand there at, at my dad's graveside and I can rest in the promise that the angel made and the, the, the statement that the angel made at the tomb of Jesus. And that statement was, he is not here, he is risen. I, I can rest in the promise that, that death is not the end for the belief that Christianity is the only true story where the introduction is death and the conclusion is life. Like I, I praise God that I can rest in the promise that my dad's a part of the great cloud, that he's forever in the presence of Christ, that he is free of cancer. I praise God for all of these things. And yet I would absolutely be lying to you if I told you I wouldn't give just about anything to have one more conversation with my dad. I mean, almost anything. I think about just the best things that I got to experience with him growing up. You know, we lived in Western North Carolina, but we were season ticket, Alabama season ticket holders eight hours away. You know, multiple times a year, I'd play a game on Friday night. We would get in the car and literally just take turns driving all night long, Dreamland barbecue in the morning, game in the afternoon, and then turn around and drive right back home for church Sunday. 
How many times we did that together? I mean, just, we weren't good at golf, but we loved to play together and just conversations on the golf course about life. And when I went away to college, you know, conversations about life and ministry and church. And then for the year that I was married before my dad passed away, conversations about marriage. And, and I mean, I would give almost anything for one more of those conversations. And church, I hope you understand that this is what prayer is. Prayer in its simplest form. It is an intimate conversation with your heavenly father. It's a conversation that we should desire but we shouldn't, I didn't, need, I didn't need to have an audience anytime I picked up the phone to call my dad. I wanted to call him because he was my dad and I loved him. Because we wanted relationship with one another. And this is what the Lord is inviting us into. He invites us into, at its simplest form, an intimate conversation with him. You know, oftentimes when a relationship has gone south, what we'll be guilty of is we'll find ourselves showing a level of affection publicly that we don't also show privately. You know, so husbands and wives, like if we're not careful, you know, if things aren't going well at home, what'll happen? Man, we're walking down the street holding hands and, and everything looks good on the outside, but, but maybe people don't know that we hardly said a word to each other all week long. And that's really the true measure of the relationship, not what we're doing in public, it's how we're doing in private. Guys, if we're being honest, it's really easy to show up on a Sunday morning and just kind of perform, right? Like to make it look like we've really got it together, we can get super emotional in, in worship and we can recite all the Bible verses and we can, man, do a really good job of looking the part. Are we as eager to worship the Lord alone as we are when we are with everybody else? This is truly the, the measure of the depth of our relationship with him. If we only demonstrate love for the Lord when others are around, we've become the hypocrites. We become actors on a stage. We're just playing the religious game. We might fool everyone around us. We might even receive their praise. But our Heavenly Father knows what's really behind the mask of our hearts. So we come to him in prayer. We pray to him humbly. And we also come to him in prayer and we pray privately. We're content to be with him and only be seen by him. So here's key question number two that I want to ask us this morning. Would I be content in my life if all of my spiritual disciplines, devotions, and practices went completely unnoticed by everyone except my heavenly father. Are we capable, friends, this is a test of, of, of our depth of our relationship with the Lord, are we capable of completing that 365-day Bible reading plan and telling nobody about it? Could we do it? Are we capable of doing this? Are we capable of, of making that big gift, of, of serving that person in need, of starting that 40, 50 year long fast? Are we capable of, I meant 40, 50 days or year long, that 40 or 50 years, that'd be a long time, right? Are we, are we capable of doing these things? I think I would have to tell somebody if I fasted for 40 years, right? Like you'd have to. But are we capable of doing these things and not needing everybody to know about? Are we content that our Father sees us? Is that enough for us that He receives praise and glory and honor? And here's why we can be content. Jesus promises at the end of verse 6, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And he rewards us with the greatest gift of all, which is the gift of himself. He rewards us with the knowledge that he's receiving glory. And we can be content with this, friends, because when God receives his glory, you and I will experience our greatest joy. It's only when we fully come to the end of ourselves that we can truly understand what it means to be satisfied in Jesus Christ. And until you decrease in your need for personal glory, you will never increase your capacity for joy in the presence of your Father. 
He invites you into intimate relationship with him. And listen, it should be enough that it's him and him alone. We don't pray to be seen and known by others. Church, pray because we are already seen and known by God. And our souls are content and satisfied in this truth. When you rest in the approval you receive from God, you won't need the praise that comes from man. So in verses 5 and 6, Jesus addresses the subject of where we shouldn't pray. And then he shifts the topic to how we shouldn't pray. This is what he goes on to say in verse 7. He says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. So when we come to the Lord in prayer, we pray humbly and we pray privately. Third, Jesus shows us that we pray thoughtfully. Pray thoughtfully. The pagans of the first century culture would often repeat the names of their gods really carelessly and thoughtlessly. They, they thought that in simply just repeating the name of their God over and over and over again, that this was more likely to draw his attention. So uh, one example of this comes from 1 Kings 18. It's one of my favorite stories in all of scripture. What happens there is, is Elijah has a showdown on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. And, and what each side does is they prepare a sacrifice. And, and this is, it's like a Wild West showdown. They say, hey, we'll each pray to our God. Elijah says, I'll pray to my God. You pray to your gods. And whoever sends fire down from heaven to consume the sacrifice, we will know that's the true God. And, and so what do the prophets of Baal do from like morning to evening? They're out there, they're, they're crying out to Baal. They're, they're yelling and they're, they're just using over and over and over again, saying his name. They go as far as to start cutting themselves they think that their religious zeal and their fervor will draw his attention. And what's Elijah do the whole time? Like it, he is totally off to the side just clowning them. He's like, maybe you should just yell a little bit louder. Maybe he's off relieving himself. Elijah actually says that. Like that's, that means what you think it means. Like maybe, I don't know, bathroom break, just a little bit louder. Maybe he'll come back later. And then what's Elijah do? He prays for like three seconds. Fire falls from heaven and consumes the sacrifice. What the prophets of Baal had thought they were going to be able to do, what was by showing their God, their religious fervor and zeal, and how serious they were about all this, and their many words that they were praying, they thought that this would somehow incite his power, bring it on, and that they would show that he was the true God. And it's a similar dynamic Jesus is addressing in verse 7. The terms empty phrases and many words, these are indicative of mindless, rambling speech. His speech is spoken of in a thoughtless or careless way. Now, there's a couple of ways that we tend to do these things today. Um, and I want to be really careful with both of these because they are very common practices among many of us. But I, I do want to just, just kind of gently nudge this morning that if you find yourself in one of these places to, to try to grow and to move beyond this. Because this is what Jesus is praying against here. One of the ways that we find ourselves guilty of doing what Jesus speaks against here is vain repetition uh, j just generous, overly generous repetition of the name of the Lord in our praying. And so you might hear it like this. You know, someone will pray, Lord God, we just thank you, Lord God, for this day, Lord God. And we ask you, Lord God, to help us, Lord God, with what we're working through, Lord God. And we need you, Lord God. But just over and over and over, because we're not giving careful thoughts to the things that we're saying. We're just now using the name of the Lord as a filler word to, to fill up the space. I mean, th think about this like in any other conversation that you would have, how weird that would be. You know, if I pick up the phone and I called Ron, I'm like, hey, Ron, how you doing today, Ron? I was hoping, Ron, that you could help me, Ron, with something I'm working on. And Ron is probably on the other line, like, what in the world? You know, like, unless Ron is just a narcissist and like, say my name. Yeah, I like, I like my name. And he's not, by the way. He's a good brother. It's Ronald, actually. Like, that, that would just be weird. Like, we wouldn't do that in any, Ron would probably be sitting there going, Taylor, like, dude, get to the point. Why are you saying my name? Like, 
We'll see it next week as we study the Lord's Prayer. What's the first statement Jesus teaches us to pray? Lord, hallowed be what? Your name. That is a desire for the name of the Lord to be upheld and to be reverenced all across the world. And church, I think we need to really pay attention to whether or not we're just using that name as a filler because we're not giving thought to what we're saying. We take this name seriously. But we approach him humbly. We can come confidently into the presence of the Lord, as we'll see in just a moment. But we should not carelessly invoke his name. A second way that we do this, the way that we're probably most guilty, is when we sit down to pray things at the dinner table, right? Like, what is that prayer? Man, we sit down with our double cheese and our fries and our Coke and our milkshake. And what's that prayer that we rattle off in 15 seconds so we can get to our food? It's like, Lord, bless this food to the nourishment of my body and my body to your service. Amen. Like, have we ever thought about what we're doing there? I mean, honestly, guys, like, it's good that we do pray because it, it will take a legitimate miracle for that meal to become healthy, right? <laughs> like, what are we doing? Like, just, just this mindless exercise to get to our food. Like, th- this is exactly the type of prayer that the Lord is, is teaching against here. That we just kind of check the box and just kind of rattle it off mindlessly so that we can get to our double cheese and fries. Like, no, that, that, that's not the type of praying that Jesus is, is calling us into. It's actually the type of praying he's teaching against. That we wouldn't just mindlessly and carelessly do these things. I had a friend in high school. Uh, his dad used to pray every single meal without fail, the exact same prayer. And it used to just annoy the life out of me. He would pray it with this little playful cadence along the way. And he would just go sit down at the table. And he was like, all right, let me pray. And it was, blessed, O Lord, and these thy gifts from which we're about to receive from thy bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. And it would be just like that. And it was like, what are we doing? Like we're just going through a mindless ritual so we can get to our food? Friends, Jesus is inviting you into something so much greater than this. He is inviting you into something so much deeper than this, something so much intimate with this. It's a relationship and conversation with your heavenly Father. The God who sits enthroned in the heavens because of what has been accomplished for us through the blood of Jesus Christ, we get to boldly come into his presence as his children. And he invites us into conversation with him. You know, beyond this, I think sometimes we think we can manipulate God with our emotion or with our zeal. And don't hear me wrong, I think it is good and right and true that there be moments, we, we read this in the Psalms, right, over and over again, that there need to be moments in your prayer that, that involve some agonizing, some crying out to God, some pleading with God, and that will probably involve some emotion and some tears, but we have to understand these things don't suddenly bring him out. It's, it's not us getting worked up into emotional frenzy that gets his attention. Guys, what gets his attention is that he's our father and he loves us. And he cares for the needs of his children. This is our third key question this morning. In praying, do I carelessly repeat God's name and thoughtlessly rehearse lines? Or do I carefully use God's name and thoughtfully consider what I'm saying and asking? When we come before the Lord, we can come to him confidently. But friends, we do not come to him carelessly. He is our father, but he is in heaven. This is what the writer of Ecclesiastes says in Ecclesiastes 5. He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. Why? For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business in a fool's voice with many words. So when we pray, let's be sure to pray carefully and thoughtfully. Even if it means that you've got to pause and, and pray one sentence at a time. 
Let's not get into the rut of just meandering with our words and not giving thought to the things that we're saying. The Lord, listen, he, he's not on a time crunch when we sit and pray. He exists outside of time and eternity. If you sit down, it would be more meaningful for you to sit down and pray one line that you really mean than to ramble on paragraphs that we don't mean. And it's something I think that would be really helpful for many of us. Because I want to be careful here and not make you think that like the use of liturgy is in no way, shape, or form helpful. Like hear me this morning. When I, I say I think there are prayer resources out there, uh, Anglican Book of Common Prayer, Be Thou My Vision, The Valley of Vision, Every Moment Holy, that there's so many good resources that can aid you and assist you in prayer. And I think for many of us, that'd be one of the best things that we can do. Um, if you've been around me for five minutes, my, my staff will tell you how many times uh, we've, I've gotten on the soapbox about your need to pray the Psalms. I mean, that is the prayer and songbook of the Bible. We need these resources. So again, Jesus isn't speaking against the use of these things. Friends, what we have to be on guard against is the mindless reading, the mindless repetition, the mindless recitation that is disconnected from our hearts. We can use these resources, but let's make sure we're giving thought to what we're saying and doing. Jesus closes out this section in verse 8 like this. He says, do not be like them. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like these guys who think they're going to be heard because they've got impressive speech. They're standing out publicly because they just want to be seen by other people. He said, don't be like them. Don't be like those who pray for the praise of man. Don't be like those who think they can impress the Father with their speech and their language. This is what he says. He says, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. I want to let that sit for a second this morning. I just wonder who in this room needs to hear that today. Your father knows what you need before you ever even ask. He knows what you need before you ask. So we pray humbly and privately and thoughtfully. What Jesus shows us forth is that we can pray confidently. We can pray confidently because our father knows what we need before we ever even ask. It's not going to be our persistence that gets his attention. It's not going to be our emotion that gets his attention. It's not going to be our pretty speech that gets his attention. What's going to get his attention is that he's our father and he loves us. And he knows what we need even before we ask. You know, our boys, uh, our three boys at home, gets pretty chaotic most of, most of the time. Are there any other like boy families in, in the room this morning? Just pray for all of us, right? Like it's just, we're, we're just trying to survive most days, the onslaught. But, but what my boys, one, one of their favorite activities for us to do at home is to play trampoline dodgeball. And I'm just gonna say like, it, it's a little bit violent, like we, and it's, it's sanctioned in our home, right? And like, it, it's, we, we have so much fun. We'll get on the trampoline. It's got the net enclosure. We're bouncing, we're wrestling. And guys, I just obliterate my boys for like 15, 20 minutes. So much fun. They laugh. It's funny because they're boys. And, and so we'll play this game. But man, it takes a lot out of me every time. Like I'm, I'm, we're sweating, we're wrestling, we're rolling around. And so there was a Saturday a couple weeks ago. We'd had a really long week, a full week. And then I spent the whole morning doing a lot of work in our yard and got to mid-afternoon. I really just kind of wanted to sit down, lay down on the couch, watch a game, rest up before Sunday morning. And so like the second I lay down on the ground, Lincoln comes running, our youngest comes running in from outside. He goes, Dad, can we play trampoline dodgeball? In that moment, I'm not feeling that. I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, buddy, I'm like, I gave him the, 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 the kind dad answer for no, which is we'll see, right? Like, because that gives the, maybe we'll play, but, but I, I'm really hoping he'll just kind of forget and move on and get distracted and do something else, right? Because I'm, I'm trying to rest up. Well, well sure enough, uh, Lincoln comes back in like five minutes later. Can we play trampoline dodgeball? I'm like, oh, buddy, maybe in a little bit. And in five-year-old world, a little bit means two minutes later, right? Because he goes outside 
and he comes back in. But the way, it's kind of hard to explain, but we got this L-shaped couch, and, and it backs up into our kitchen area where our door is out to our patio. And so I'm laying on the couch on the opposite side of it. I've got the back end of the couch in front of me. And uh, then I see the door open, but I don't see a person come through. And then the door shuts, and then I hear this sliding across the floor. And here's the back of the couch, and all of a sudden I see Lincoln's little head just pop up real slowly. And he's got a big smile on his face. And at that point in time, he doesn't even need to ask. He doesn't need to ask. I know that he's not giving up on this thing. I said, all right, buddy, I'm, I'm coming outside. And, and yeah, you know, if I'm being totally honest with you, like part of why I went out to play with Lincoln is because he was guilting me into it. I, I just felt bad that I kept putting him off. But deep in my heart, I know the reason that I moved to play trampoline dodgeball with my son. Guys, it's because I love my son. And he's, he's five and he's my youngest. And, you know, for the moment, he still thinks dad is cool and funny and fun to be around. And I'm trying to capitalize on all that as best as I can. I was a little bit guilty, but mostly what moved me is, is just the fact that I love my son. I want to spend time with my son. And this is who our father is. That last time Lincoln came in, he didn't even have to ask. The fact that he was there, I knew why he was there. And understand, that's how God is when we come to him in prayer. He knows why you're there. He knows what you're coming for. Whether it's something you're asking him for the first time or something you're asking him for the 50,000th time, he knows what you need before you ever even ask. So what that means for us is we need to be people who ask. We need to come to him and we need to be bold in our asking. You know, some have wrongly interpreted this passage to mean that we don't have to ask at all. And the argument goes like this. They'll say, well, you know, because God is sovereign, he's going to accomplish his plan. He's going to accomplish his will. He's going to accomplish his purpose. He knows what we need before we ask. That means that I don't really even need to ask at all. And listen, this is one of the great mysteries that, that is so amazing about our Heavenly Father and why he's worthy of our worship and our praise. One of the great mysteries about God is, yes, he is sovereign over all things. Yes, he is orchestrating the events of history. Yes, he is behind it all. He's the driving force, and it's all running to the same place, which is ultimately the praise and glory of his name. His will cannot be undone. His purposes cannot be undone. His plans are not going to be halted. They're not going to be stopped. They're not going to be thwarted, whether you and I participate or not. And yet, <laughs> in his sovereignty, this is the great mystery, in his sovereignty, he has ordained that his will and his plans and his purposes be accomplished through the prayers of his people. One of those realities that I'm comfortable just saying, like, we're not going to undo all that tension here, this side of eternity. But we see this play out in Scripture. The book of James shows us this. James chapter 4, James says it like this. He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. What's he say? You don't have. Why? Because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask it wrongly to spend on your passions. We're going to get more into this next week, but I want to just show us quickly. The reason many of us are not experienced the fullness of joy and life in Christ, that the simple reason for it is that we're just not asking for it. And I know for some, like, nope, it's more complicated than that. It's more difficult than that. No, 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 no. Either what Jesus said is true or it's not. We're either, experience, we're either not experiencing the fullness of life in Christ. Either it's, It could be a number of things. It could be sin that's in our life that we're not willing to confess. It could be a lack of forgiveness against, for, for others that we're harboring in, in our hearts. The very simplest reason so many of us are not experiencing the fullness of joy in life in Jesus Christ is because we're not asking for it. We're not willing to do the things that he says we have to do in order to experience it. So this is the fourth and final key question I want to ask us this morning. Do I pray with the confidence of a trusting child? who is making a request to a loving father. 
Do I pray with that simplicity, the confidence of a trusting child who is making the request to a loving father? Now, depending on your background, for some of us that's easier said than done because some of us struggle to trust parents. You have a heavenly father who is not like your earthly parents, who will never leave you, who will never forsake you, who cannot die, who you cannot lose, who will always do everything that he has promised to do exactly the way he's promised to do it. He knows what we need before we ask. And we're going to get more into this next week, but really quickly here. Don't miss this today. God is eager to grant all the things that we ask when we ask for the right things. He's eager to give it to us. He knows what we need before we ask. And when we ask for the right things, he is eager to give us everything that we need. And so that begs two questions for us. These are questions we would be absolutely crazy not to ask if that's true. And here's the questions. The questions we should all be asking this morning are, what do I need and for what should I ask? If he knows what I need before I ask for it and he delights in giving me everything that I need when I ask for the right things, then what do I need and what should I be asking for? And the answer to those two questions are something you're gonna have to come back for next week when we look at verses um, six through 10. So we'll look at that next week. What, What do we need and for what should we ask? That's what Jesus teaches us in the rest of the Lord's Prayer. So how do we pray? How do we pray as we close this out this morning? Friends, we pray humbly. We pray humbly. We don't pray because we want to be seen by others. We pray because we're already seen by our Heavenly Father. We pray privately. We pray to an audience of one. We're perfectly content if the Father is the only one who hears and sees. We pray thoughtfully. He is our Father and we're his children, so we can come into his presence confidently, but he is also enthroned in heaven, so we do not come into his presence carelessly. He is God in heaven and we're here on earth, so we will measure our words and let them be few. And we pray confidently. This is the beauty of the gospel. If you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, your heavenly Father has ordained for you to ask, and he delights in your asking. He has never been annoyed by one of your requests. He has never run out of patience whenever we have come to him persistently asking for the same thing. He has ordained that we ask and he delights in our asking because in our asking, what we're expressing to him is that we love him and we trust him and we depend upon him. We're his children, he's our father and he knows what we need before we ask. So let's be people who ask, amen. Let's pray together as we close. In just a moment, we did this earlier together, um, but we're going to do it again. I'm going to invite us corporately to pray together the words of the Lord's Prayer. And, And I just wonder this morning, how many of us did that thoughtfully about 45 minutes ago? Just be honest with yourself. How many of us did that thoughtfully or how many of us did it because we were just kind of going through the motions? Just kind of carelessly, we we know the words, we have it memorized, we've prayed it a million times before. And so in just a moment, I'm going to just ask us to pray once together, again together corporately. And and before we do that, I I just want you to consider as we prepare to study the content of the Lord's Prayer next week. It's the last time you really considered what it means for the name of our Heavenly Father to be hallowed among the nations. To be honored and revered above every other name. When's the last time you really considered what it means to desire that his will be done 
right here on earth the same way it is in heaven, for his kingdom to come. How many of us are living in daily dependence on him for our daily bread, our daily needs? How many of us are living in dependence of him, the need of forgiveness for our sins? How many of us need him? How many of us really consider that we must forgive others as we ask our Father to forgive us? So I just want to begin preparing our hearts for for what we'll see next week. But before we go this morning, we're going to pray these words together. Because in the Lord's Prayer, we, we pray the desire for the glory of his name. We are asking the forgiveness of our sins. We are asking for the capacity to forgive others. We are asking to be dependent on our Heavenly Father. We're expressing a desire for our personal agendas to be put to the side so that his kingdom can come and his will can be done above our own. And so as we prepare to come to the Lord's table for communion and as as we close together in worship, let's pray together the words of the Lord's Prayer thoughtfully. I just want to invite you to pray this with me once again. Let's pray it slowly. Let's pray it thoughtfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. And all of God's people said, amen, amen.